0: My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, protective, protective unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, giving,
1: extraordinary. He's always willing to kind of keep learning things, he's always willing to be proven wrong. I'll ask.
0: This is Our Mothers, Ourselves, and I'm Katie Semro, filling in for Katie Hafner as your host this week. Today I'm talking to Isabella DiPetro about her father, Luca DiPetro, and I know at uh, Our Mothers, Ourselves, we usually talk about mothers, but once a year for Father's Day, we talk about a father, and this year we are talking about Luca DiPetro. And thank you so much for talking with me today, Isabella. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. You're welcome. It's great to connect with you again. And first, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and your dad.
1: My name is uh, Isabella Di Pietro. I grew up in New York City. Uh, I'm currently a semester away from graduating from college. And I, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, alongside my father, started an organization that helps feed New Yorkers, healthcare workers, and New Yorkers experiencing food insecurity while supporting local restaurants. My father's name is Luca Di Pietro, and he is a restaurateur. Uh, He originally grew up in Italy, uh, but moved to New York uh, back in the 90s after he met my mother. And so I grew up here um, and he's lived here ever since.
0: Great. Okay. So how would you describe your father to someone who's never met him? (laughs) My father
1: is... One of, if not the hardest working person I know. He's incredibly dedicated uh, to everything he does. Incredibly devoted to his friends and to his family. There's a, a word in Italian that I think summarizes him pretty well, uh, which is testadura, which means uh-huh. hardheaded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, I think you know he can be stubborn, but also when he sets his mind to something, mm-hmm. he always always gets his done. Whatever something's in his control, he does it to the best of his ability, and so I think you know, watching him struggle over the past year during the pandemic, um, and you know, come up against forces that were outside of his control, I think he's you know handled it with incredible determination. But yeah. uh, but but you know, that's I I think that's how I. I just have testadura, but, um, and, and, you know, just incredibly devoted.
0: Yeah. 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 I can really see that. So would you like to say a little more about that obstacle of the, the pandemic and how that happened and how he kind of used this, you know, his testadura to get through?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, New York City, at the beginning of the pandemic, or at least when we understood what was going on in the States, was really the epicenter of the crisis. Um, It's where we got hit incredibly hard and where the initial shutdowns of businesses and of sort of daily life began. And and my father felt that pretty immediately because he owns restaurants in the city and he he owns five restaurants. Um, They're all called Taroluccia Vino. Um, He opened his first restaurant back in 2001. Six weeks before nine 11. Um, and you know, so he, you know, gone through a, a number of different crises, and the restaurants have been resilient. But I think, you know, he hadn't seen anything like this. No one had. Right. Um, but you know, that, you know, that initial series of shutdowns really hit the restaurants incredibly hard. He had to close all, you know, all the restaurants except for one, um, and that one just remained open except for takeout and delivery. And the hardest part of that, you know, was having to tell. 95 of his 102 employees that they had to go home and that he, you know, couldn't keep them on payroll. Um, so that was incredibly, you know, heartbreaking, um, and just, you know, made my father feel like he had no control over the situation. Um, but you know, we were really fortunate. And when I say we, I mean, my family were really fortunate in that a couple days after that initial shutdown, which was on March 15th, we had a family friend reach out, actually one of my mother's friends from graduate school, and she reached out to us and said, I've been reading what's been going on in New York. I know that the hospitals are overwhelmed. I know that restaurants have had to shut down. I would love to support Taralucci, Evino, and order some food. Um, But, you know, I'm not in New York, so I would love if you guys deliver it to health, you know, an emergency room where doctors are are battling the pandemic and nurses. Um, so she paid for 40 dinners from Tarrucci and uh my parents delivered those 40 meals on March 19th and after that my father saw the reaction from the doctors and nurses you know they were incredibly grateful um you know they delivered lasagna and salad um you know things that were really going to make people feel filled up and nourished and he saw that reaction and said to me you know I think this could be a way for us to be useful during this crisis we can hire back our staff, you know, make sure that people have jobs and have them prepare food for people who are battling the virus. And so that's what really planted the seed for Feed the Frontlines NYC and my dad you know, had the idea, he brought mm-hmm. it to me and we started building the website and 18 hours later we launched it and started collecting contributions. And so it was really it was my father's idea and then determination in saying, "Okay, let's get this done now. Let's let's set up this website. Let's try to make something good out of this horrible situation. Yeah. And he was,
0: you know, ready from the start to just jump in. It's funny, no matter how many times I hear that story, it still chokes me up. You know, like, it's just such an amazing moment when it was so difficult. And, you know, your, your family just said, okay, we can do something here and help ourselves and help other people. And it's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, part of why right away it, it we had a lot of success and, in, in people, you know, contributing and and being really generous because, you know, people, you know, know my father, know my family, know the kind of person he is. Um, and I think felt really, you know, they saw that it was a good idea, a win-win situation for small businesses and workers and for, you know, people who are really the most vulnerable at that time to the crisis. Um, you know, they saw that that was a good idea, but I think also they knew, you know, they know my father, whether it was from, you know, seeing him at the restaurants saying hello to him while they're having their morning coffee or, you know, people who knew him from you know playing soccer, you know, because my dad still plays soccer a couple times a week. And he has his teammates from from the geezers football club um, who, who, you know, who know him and know the kind of person he is. So I think it's a really it's also just a testament to, you know, who he is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that they all believed in him and knew that he would do it and make it happen. And yeah, 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 it's fantastic. That's a great explanation of where things are at now and who your father is today. So let's go back to his childhood. Can you, you know, start with where he was born and tell me a little bit about what that was like?
1: Well, my father was born in 1969 uh, in Italy in a small town called Nereto, which is. Um, really, uh, it's a tiny town, 5,000 people, two hours Northeast of Rome, sort of right off the Adriatic coast, about a 20 minute drive from the beach. He was the, you know, the first of ultimately two sons. Um, and he grew up in this town and, Mm -hmm. you know, went to school at the local public school there and grew up playing soccer, being absolutely obsessed with soccer. Um, that's, that hasn't changed since then. (laughs) Um, and grew up, you know, loving, to eat. My grandmother is a fantastic cook. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think in some ways she's the quintessential Italian nonna because she really just, every time we go back there, she cooks up a storm and, you know, d- insists that we have seconds and thirds of everything. And so he grew up in in that environment, um, really just, you know, loving food, loving soccer, and also really excelling at school, you know, at, at his studies um, and ultimately went to the University of Bologna And that's actually where he met my mother. Um, So that's, yeah, that's maybe in a nutshell, I think, is sort of what his
0: childhood was like. Right, right. Okay. We'll definitely talk about when he meets your mom. I wonder about, like, you know, were there moments in his childhood that he talks about where the food piece is starting to, like, come to the fore for him?
1: The kinds of, you know, food moments that he talks about, or that he recalls are really, I think, ones that you might think of as sort of mundane. Um, But, you know, he'll, you know, when when growing up, we'd talk about how, you know, the lunch at at school isn't that great, he would say, you know, well, I I never had that problem, because my non, not so my great, my great grandmother, his his grandmother would prepare, you know, like, basically just a slice of bread with sausage spread over it. Um, And that was just like a very simple. Snack, but always like excellent because it's the freshest. Um, but you know, a very simple thing. And so, you know, he definitely remembers that, but also I think he's always had an awareness of like, you know, where food comes from, you know, growing up in an agricultural part of the country and, and being really close to that. My grandmother always gardened. And also, you know, every year the town would have, you know, around Christmas time, there would be a, you know, a pig that the town would get together and slaughter. And so my father grew up seeing that, you know, somewhat gruesome scene and, I think definitely not taking for granted, you know, where food was coming from and and really appreciating whatever was put on the table in in front of him. And it's definitely inculcated that sense of appreciation into
0: me and into my family. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. so then he goes to university in Bologna. And then so what's your mother doing in Bologna?
1: So when my father was a student at the University of Bologna, my mother was actually there for one year because she was in graduate school. She was at the Johns Hopkins School for Advanced International Studies. And part of that program was having the opportunity to go and study abroad in in Bologna. So she was there for a year completing her master's. uh, And they actually met through a mutual friend. You know, my one of my mother's classmates had met my father and some of his friends and and they all, um, you know, met up and went out for drinks and to eat together. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they hit it off. (laughs)
0: Okay, great. And then was that kind of at the beginning of her time there or the end of her time? How did that develop?
1: So that was, I think, towards the beginning of her time there. And, um, you know, they ended up staying in touch. Actually, my mother, you know, when she was done with her program, went back to the States, and they were in a, you know, really long distance relationship for a while. He came over to visit. The first time he came to the States, the first place he ever ate in the States was a Friendly's. Um And I will never forget that because, you know, he, you know, come from Italy, you know, coming from, you know, having amazing cooked food and, and he, you know, landed in the States. The first stop was Friendlies, where I think they had patty melts. That was my mom's favorite thing to get there. Right. So they had patty melts while they were on the road um, to the Adirondacks to a, a house that my mom's family was renting at the time. But the other thing about it, you know, the other thing about when my dad met my mom is that, you know, neither of them really spoke the other language very well. Um, okay. So my father had taken some English, you know, growing up, but really didn't speak it well at all, understood some things. And my mom, similarly, was in Italy and she'd always been really great with languages. She grew up speaking French um, through school, but she was learning Italian too. So they kind of were teaching each other English. So, well, my father, my father <laughs> met my mom's family and my, my grandfather my grandfather always was telling the story. The only thing that my, my father could say was Kate is incredible. You know, that's my, that's my mom. He would say to my, my grandfather, Mr. Felson. Kate is incredible, um, and that was that was kind of the one one sentence, which I guess is not too bad of a sentence. But he kept sort of repeating that. Um, but you know, was you know meeting my mom's family for the first time. His English right. wasn't very good, right. but now I mean he speaks fluent English now. But it's it's right. funny to think that that's how it all kind of started.
0: <laughs> it is, it is. That's great. So, what did he study at the University of Bologna, and and you know what was he doing?
1: my father studied economics at the university of Bologna. Um, and he actually wrote his thesis about pasta. He wrote a thesis about the uh, which is a, a brand of pasta, um, which is, you know, actually from Abruzzo, which is the region that my, my father is from. Um, so, you know, he wrote his thesis about that. And when he finished up, um, you know, my mom, my, my mom was working in the States at the time. She just started working at ABC news and, he came over and started living in New York with her um, and was actually working as a sales representative for Lavazza, the coffee company. Um, and so that's, that was his first job in the States and that's an Italian company, but he was you know, selling to uh, you know, different businesses around around the US, including restaurants. And, and I think that was how he got the initial feel for the restaurant industry and, and okay. started to think about
0: wanting to open a place of his own. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So he's over here living with your mom in New York and selling coffee. She's working at ABC, did you say? Mm -hmm. Okay. So she's working at ABC. Okay. And then at what point do you like, do you come in the picture?
1: So my parents got married in, in 1996 and I was born two years later and they just moved into the apartment that I'm actually sitting in right now, uh, wow. which is okay. on yeah yeah, which is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan.
0: Right. Okay. Wow. What stories are there of when you were really little and how your dad took to being a dad?
1: There are a lot of different memories, but um, <laughs> one of the things that my parents tell me about my childhood is that you know, from the time I could start eating solid food, I would eat everything basically anything you put in front of me, I was really excited and curious. And the first time I got to go to Italy and my, my grandparents got to see me. My parents love talking about how I was, you know, presented with a plate of like mussels and different kinds of seafood. Cause there's a lot of seafood in, in my dad's region. And I was eating everything. And my father was overjoyed my grandfather was watching in awe because I was like this you know this tiny kid you know eating up all these different things and so I think you know it was really he was really excited that I was you know kind of from the start really enjoying you know food and kind of voracious um you know when I was born I think as soon as I I could walk around and run around I guess um, my father put a soccer ball in front of me and <laughs> um, was encouraging me to play and certainly my mom was too and We would always actually set up, you know, we live in a a small Manhattan apartment, but we would always set up, I always remember this, one of our dining room chairs across from the coffee table in our living room, which is just adjacent. We'd open up the doors in between and create a sort of a makeshift soccer field. Um, (laughs) And it would, we would play one-on-one in my head. And, you know, who knows how, you know, I conceptualize time now in retrospect, but in my head, we would play for hours and hours and hours.
0: Great. Okay. Wow. So yeah. So soccer from when you could, can walk and also just eating everything. Yeah. 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 I can see that working. Your dad being very excited about both of those things for sure.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what my dad would have done if, if I wasn't a soccer fan. I think, right. I think it would have been, it would have been hard. We would have figured it out, but it would have been, would have been tricky to navigate.
0: Oh yeah. Man- mandatory situation there. Okay. Um, Okay, so tell me about. You said he opened the restaurant, his first restaurant in 2001. Tell me about that and how he decided to do that.
1: Well, my father, you know, had been traveling around the country, you know, selling coffee in and out of restaurants and coffee shops. Um, at, when he was working with uh, Lavazza and then with with Danizzi, with the other coffee company. Um, and I think you know that was you know in the early you know in 2001, that was kind of around the time that I think you know, Starbucks was really starting to take off. He was noticing that people were really, you know, interested in coffee culture and, you know, looked at Starbucks and said, well, people are really into this, you know, <laughs> what what would they do if they had, you know, a real kind of Italian espresso um, and, you know, the kinds of things that, that he was used to having at, at home. And I think, you know, there's part of it that was really about him missing home and wanting to bring yeah. part of what he grew up with. To the states, into his new home. When he saw this space open up in the East Village, he thought that it would it would be really interesting to to try to start his own place. Um, He saw that opportunity, went after it, started working with a business partner from the company where he was working, and was basically doing it as as a second job. Um, He was, you know, working for the coffee company during the week, and then as he describes it, he was sort of making espresso making cappuccino you know on the weekends um so that was really how how it all got started but it was kind of from a place of wanting to bring that experience of what he had grown up with at home and and had in bologna as a student bringing that to the states yeah.
0: okay yeah is it just a coffee shop at first or is it a restaurant is it both at
1: first it was Sort of like a, a classic Italian, like they call them right. bars, um, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. it's the place where you, you know, get your, your coffee in the morning. You mm-hmm. come back for your espresso in, in the afternoon. Um, and they do very simple, um, foods. So just pastries. Um, you know, you get your cornetto in the morning with your, with your cappuccino and then they would do panini. So, you know, freshly baked bread, ciabatta very simple things like mozzarella and tomato and, you know, prosciutto sandwiches. And then, uh, you know, later on, they started doing full service, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner restaurant. But from the beginning, it was really just, uh, you know, having the place where you could come for great pastries, great panini, and uh, great coffee. Okay, instantly, when they opened, people were so excited to have this spot where they could come for their morning coffee and come back again in the afternoon Um, and, you know, sit and, you know, for some people sit outside and read the paper while having their coffee, Um, you know, meet up with friends, that kind of place. And that's what it became this kind of gathering spot. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the moments where that was really evident was right after nine 11 when, yeah. you know, the city was reeling from that day. And, you know, I don't remember it. I was, I was, you know, three years old. Um, But, you know, as the dust was sort of settling, Mm -hmm. people were trying to gather together. And Tarluci, Ivino was one of the places where people were doing that. People were trying to, you know, keep track of their loved ones and and get together and comfort each other and talk about what their fears were, what their hopes were. And so my dad always talks about that and and definitely has brought that up during this time during the pandemic when all we want to do is get together and yeah. compare each other but we can't do that that's been unsafe right. so that's yeah. I think what's been really hard to
0: yeah yeah cuz it sounds like for him a big part of it has been community bringing the community aspect in yeah absolutely absolutely okay so that's so 2001 it starts and then do you want to explain a little bit about how the expansion happened
1: sure um so you know when things started to take off with the first cafe my father ended up quitting his other job working at the restaurant full-time and it did incredibly well you know people responded i think to the kind of the yeah. authenticity of it mm-hmm. um you know the amount of care you know and attention to detail my father puts into things so a couple years later uh, there was a space in union square on Eighteenth on street that opened up and my father and his partner decided to open up there as well okay. um that was their first kind of Uh, full-on, full-service restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that place opened in 2005. Mm -hmm. You know, there was great Italian food, you know, fresh pasta. And, you know, some, actually a dish, one of the pasta dishes and dishes like remained on the menu since day one is this wonderful dish called fregnace with duck sauce. And it's Mm -hmm. this very kind of very thin pasta that sort of envelops this duck ragu. Um, So, you know, shredded duck meat in a mm. tomato sauce and with Parmesan cheese on it, and it's really, really delicate, but also, you know, kind of sticks yeah, <laughs> sticks to your ribs. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and so that dish is one that that stayed on the menu. And actually, growing up, I remember one time when I was in kindergarten, our class got to go on a field trip to the first location in East Village. When we all got to, you know, decorate the little fruit tarts that they were putting out these little uh-huh. like kind of these small tarts with cream and then mm-hmm. you would kind of put a little berry on top and so we we got to do that as a class and <laughs> all were wearing little chef's hats that I remember <laughs> that and then also you know later on growing up my teachers got to know my parents and some of them would go to the restaurants and my 4th grade teacher Miss Hoy who's an amazing woman she and her husband lived near uh, the 18th street location, they would go, you know, they would go like once every couple of weeks and she would always, always get the pregnace, like every single time we'd get the (laughs) same dish. And so they started to, you know, enjoy it too. And that's, I think that's been one of the great parts for my dad about, you know, owning restaurants is that, you know, when people are coming into the city to visit, whether it's friends from Italy or, you know, other people around the country um, or just friends who live here locally, that it's always can be a place where, he can see them and, and catch up.
0: Yeah. 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 That, that bringing people together and and talking to people and he's just pulling that community around him and making those connections.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And I think, but I think also like one of the things that I really admire in my father and I don't like, and I, (laughs) we never kind of say these things to each other directly because I mean, it's, it sounds sort of cheesy to say, but that, you know, that the way he, I think wherever he goes kind of n- ends up knitting together a community of people around him, but it's never, it's never sort of like a curated thing. It's incredibly authentic, right? Like it's, it's just, he, he's always himself. He's unabashedly himself and he genuinely really loves bringing people together. And, and I think that that, you know, it's, it's just, it's very naturally who he is. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that authenticity is kind of magnetic, right? It kind of just pulls people in. What was it like when you were a, a child growing up with him at the restaurants?
1: My parents were both, you know, always always working and they still are. You know, both of them are, you know, kind of constantly working, but you know, owning restaurants it's really, you know, it's a kind of a 24-hour right. job, you know, my father still, you know, even after all these years of owning all the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um he gets calls late at night, you know, if there's something that goes wrong, you know, something that gets broken in the kitchen, or, you know, there's a problem that he has to deal with, you know, people are calling him directly, and he always has his ringer on, you know, definitely grew up with that. But I think also, like, I definitely remember, especially when he opened this first place, when I was little, I would, you know, get to go with him and hang out in the kitchen where they were preparing all the pastries. And, so excited whenever I got to you know help out and I don't know you know in retrospect I don't know how much I was helping they were just (laughs) you know maybe me you know you know letting me participate and uh, get involved but I loved going to do that you know loved getting to feel like I was part of it and then you know as I started to grow up I would get to bring my friends to the restaurants and ended up working in, in some of them as a hostess and, Mm -hmm. and helping out with social media and. Mm -hmm. Okay. So,
0: and how about your relationship with your dad now? What's that like?
1: My father and I have always been close, but I think this pandemic and building Feed the Frontlines NYC together has made us even closer. Um, and really since day one, we kind of, we've been working shoulder to shoulder, you know, literally, like, especially in the early months, as things were getting off the ground, you know, every single day, would walk together to the restaurant on 83rd Street, sit there with our masks on and, and, you know, we'd be taking calls and working on kind of expanding the number of deliveries we were doing, bringing in other restaurants, being on the phone with doctors and nurses. And we were, you know, working side by side and, you know, sit down, you know, to work at 830. And then, you know, realize that, by 3 p.m. we hadn't eaten anything and, you know, having, having lunch together and then late in the evening, you know, going for, you know, walk around the reservoir, um, in Central Park to clear our heads a little bit, but usually clearing our heads just meant continuing the conversations (laughs) we were having about the work, but just doing it outside outside while stretching our legs. Um, but, you know, I think it's been a really, in a lot of ways, a really awful year. Um, but I feel really lucky that I was able to work with my father. Um, I don't know how many people get to like experience that with their parents. And I just, I do feel really fortunate to have the kind of relationship where we could go through a you know really stressful year like this and and build something together and, you know, come out, you know, friends on the other side or come out, you know, being, feeling closer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is. It's a really unusual opportunity. Okay. How about this one? So what do you think has been the most important thing that your father has taught you? I
1: think on the one hand, my father has really taught me what one person can do with whatever, you know, job you're working in or whatever context you find yourself in. Like, there's a lot of power to, and I think a lot of value in just really like waking up every day and doing and just doing your best and obviously there are moments when we can't always do our best but kind of but strive like striving for that and the flip side of that is that especially now like during the pandemic this this is something that maybe he's learned also is that like you know there are always limits to what one person can do and there's a lot of Mm. um you know there are times when there are things that are out of our control and we need to recognize when it's okay to reach out for help yeah
0: yeah is there any particular quality that you think makes your dad a really great father like in particular right like father instead of like businessman or you know whatever Mm
1: -hmm. he's always willing to kind of keep learning things he's always willing to be proven wrong like in some ways i think i brought up the word that's you know which means hard headed and like sometimes that translates into stubbornness and <laughs> and you know being determined and determined in the sense of like not just you know determined to do something, but determined and stuck in your way. I think that my that doesn't quite fit my father because he's really you know when we're sitting at dinner and we're having a conversation, whether it's about you know politics or about you know some issue that I've had with a friend he's willing to sit there and flesh out that conversation, like have the full conversation, listen and really talk through it. And also he's not like, not afraid to like ask the tough questions that are not going to get him the answer (laughs) that he necessarily wants. Um, And the reason I say that that I think makes him a really good father is because by like acting that way with us and like, you know, taking my questions seriously, like being willing to kind of talk through things and not just dismiss and kind of, band-aid or you know say like okay well this is you know this is the this is the right answer and really kind of like have like talk those things through Mm -hmm. um i feel better equipped to like to question things and to like Mm -hmm. have those tough conversations in my life
0: great yeah that open mindedness and willingness to question yeah excellent wonderful well thank you so much for talking uh to me about him well, thank you so much, Katie. And it's been fun,
1: and I think challenging to to talk about this, but <laughs> it's been fun to be able to to talk about my dad. He's an he's an amazing person, and he would probably be yeah. so he's going to probably be so embarrassed <laughs> to listen to this because he's he's never he's never yeah. the type to accept a compliment.
0: Join us next time when Katie Hafner interviews Aaron Prophet. Her mother, Elizabeth Prophet, was the leader of the Church Universal and Triumphant which had 50,000 followers worldwide. Erin describes what her childhood was like, including the time when her mother led many of her followers into a bunker to avoid a prophecy of nuclear Armageddon. That's next time on Our Mothers, Ourselves. Join us. Thank you so much for listening to Our Mothers, Ourselves. Our theme music is composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Paula Mangin is our artist-in-residence. Today's show was produced by me, Katie Semro. Katie Hafner is our executive producer. Our Mothers, Ourselves is a production of Odra Deck Studios in San Francisco. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.